And so Christmas being a week away, what we will be doing this morning is we'll be focusing on something here in the Christmas account we just heard there in Matthew chapter 2. And specifically, what we'll be looking at is how the divinely inspired author Matthew here, at the end of that paragraph that you just heard, looks at Christmas essentially, and what happened early on with Jesus as a child, and he then decides to quote this Old Testament verse which says, Out of Egypt I called my son. And now as to why we're looking at this particular quote here this morning, we of course for a Christmas message could have gone and looked more at something like the virgin birth itself, which was an amazing miracle. Or we could have looked more at Jesus' actual birth story, right, in Luke 2 or any other text like that. And those are great passages about what happened when Jesus initially came into the world. But as for this morning, I want to ask us, I want us to ask more the question of why, though, did Jesus come? And yes, there are many right answers to that that I'm sure a lot of us in this room could give, like how Jesus came to save us, or how he came to give us hope and peace, or he came to deliver us from our sins, and, and more could be said. And those are all right and true. But also, as I was thinking about what to cover this morning together, and, and as we just finished our series on the book of Hosea last week, this line in the Christmas story, which often isn't talked about, out of Egypt, I called my son, kept coming to mind. And that's because, as you hopefully see by the end of our time together this morning, what that one little line there gets across about Jesus, about why he came, and even about us, is quite profound. And I think it can really impact how we view Christmas this upcoming week as well. But that said, uh, to bring us then to our outline of how we'll be going together in God's word this morning. So we're going to see what this out of Egypt I called my son line is really getting across here. We're just basically going to have three sections together this morning. Three basic sections. And they're all build on one another. And as for what they are first, we're just going to look at the paragraph here in Matthew. And there we're just going to see the story here about Jesus and the basic reason why Matthew decides to quote the line out of Egypt I called my son. And then after that, though, second, in our second section, we'll then actually go back to the Old Testament to see the verse that Matthew was quoting. And for this, we're actually going to be in Hosea chapter 11, which is another reason I thought it'd be good for us to cover this, because we just spent seven weeks in Hosea, as an, in, a church, in Hosea as a church, and so we know it pretty well. But again, so second, we'll then basically send, spend some time in Hosea, seeing what this out of Egypt line originally meant back in the Old Testament, which then all will build up to third and finally, in our last section, we will finally then bring everything together. And see some things that this line shows us about Jesus and that it shows us about you and me. And so in summary, three sections. First, understanding the story in Matthew here. Second, looking at the quote in Hosea. And then third, what this shows us about Jesus and about ourselves. But all that said, let's then begin our first section together, church. And here again, we'll be looking more at detail, in detail at this account here in Matthew 2. And this will be our shortest section together because in some ways, at first, what's going on here and why Matthew quotes this Old Testament verse is seemingly simple. And you might have thought that when the scripture reading happened. But as you'll see, it's actually more complex in a good way 
than we may at first think. And so let's look at our passage here in Matthew. So look at your Bibles. And yet before we even read this paragraph, notice first just where we are in this larger Christmas account. Because this paragraph we're about to read is right after the famous story that you probably know of the Magi coming to the child Jesus. And, and so what happened in that story is if you look quickly at verse 11, Matthew records that the Magi went and saw the child and they fell down and worshipped him. And so this is where we are in Matthew. And briefly, just let me say, you probably know that, but that right there is incredible. <laughs> A mere child being worshipped. And, and so right away I want us to see that because that then does show us that in this account so far, what's going on with this child is obviously quite special. Because worshipping a person, a child, doesn't happen, especially in the Bible. But that's right before our paragraph and then comes our paragraph here in Matthew 2, 13 through 15. And so now, look down at your Bibles to get just what happened here in history. We're now going to take these three verses, just one verse at a time. And so we'll start now in verse 13. So look down at your Bibles, Matthew 2, 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So to begin here, Matthew, once again in his narrative about Jesus' early life, he records an angel appearing to Joseph and Mary concerning Jesus. And this is significant not only because this actually happened, and therefore angels are real and they're truly God's messengers, and in fact, I don't know if you knew this, but the word angelos in Greek is literally just the word for messenger. And so this is significant because this means that angels are real and they were involved 2,000 years ago at the, in the coming of Jesus. But perhaps even more significant than that in this story, this matters what's going on here because this angel is doing what the Lord wants. Right? Which is why the angel's called, quote, an angel of the Lord. And that means in this story, in what's about to happen, the Lord, the triune God, he is involved here. And, and so the question is, okay, so what does God do? What does God want? Right? And what we see in that verse is that, yes, the triune God wants to protect this child. But, but think about it. If God doesn't just want to protect this child, but God specifically, through the angel, commands Joseph to rise, take, and flee to Egypt. <laughs> And that's important because God could have just said, right, rise, take, and hide. And that would have theoretically protected this child. But instead, God is very clear. They are told to go to Egypt, which will come up later. And so that's verse 13. That's what happened in history, which now leads to the next sentence starting in verse 14. So we'll read that now. Look at your Bibles and read a little bit into verse 15, starting in verse 14. And he rose, Joseph, and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Right, so now here, very simply, Joseph obeys the angel and they go and depart to Egypt. And, and just to be clear, this was no easy thing for them. Because just the border of Egypt from where they were at this time was 75 miles away. <laughs> And remember, traveling back then was not like traveling today. And so Joseph deciding not only to flee and hide, but to actually obey by then going all the way to Egypt is significant. But anyway, so that is most of the paragraph. 
And that is what happened in history. And therefore, one could imagine the narrative just ending there. But it doesn't. Because then Matthew adds this climactic and important last sentence. And so look down at your Bibles one last time in this paragraph. And now look again at what Matthew decides to say in verse 15. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So, so we'll talk more about all this and especially that word fulfill later in our third section. But in short, if you're tracking, you can now see what's going on here for yourself. So, so Matthew knows something that has happened in history with Mary, Joseph, and this child G- Jesus. And he's recording it down for us, but that's not it. That's not all he's doing because now in this last sentence here, Matthew himself, inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit, also decides to look at what happened in history and he then makes this conclusion that this happened to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, quote, out of Egypt I called my son. Meaning Matthew is saying all that happened because Jesus is the fulfillment of something. It wasn't random. And we know that especially because notice in verse 13, the angel is an angel of the Lord, right? The triune God told Joseph to do this. And why? Well, apparently because in verse 15, that same the Lord, the triune God, had said something before this. And so very basically, God spoke something about this and God made it happen with Jesus fulfilling it. And so that's this portion of the Christmas story here in Matthew. And in a way... We might think that's not a big deal or that might make us feel like we're hanging a bit because on the one hand, we could just assume, okay, well, apparently in the Old Testament somewhere, it was told that Jesus, when he'd come, he'd come out of Egypt. And, and maybe you're thinking that, but the, but the issue with that is, as we're about to see, it's actually way more complex than that and more fascinating and even encouraging than that. And to be honest, just, just, taking, just taking this into account about you and me for a second, honestly, the, the reason I think we really don't see what's going on here at first, and the reason this is a little more complex to us, simply stated, is because we aren't Jewish people who knew our, know our Old Testaments as well as they did back then. And I bring that up because for most people here who remember we're reading Matthew when he originally wrote it, they were Jewish and they, and they were taught the Old Testament scriptures very deeply from a very young age. And so I do think that they would have read that quote from Matthew there in verse 15 with a sense of, wow. I think they would have heard it with more of a, what I like to call a gasp moment, a moment where you go, oh, wow, that's fascinating. But for us, right, we don't, we don't really get it, which was just fine. But that's also why we do need to go back now to the original source. We need to go back to the original quote in Hosea to really understand this about Christmas, about Jesus. And so let's do that now. So that was our first section looking at this quote in Matthew. And I know we didn't apply that much yet to ourselves. We'll do that more in our third section. But now again, to really understand what the Bible's saying here about why Jesus came, let's now look at Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11. And if you're using your pew Bible, this should be on page 709 in your Bibles. Hosea chapter 11. 
And I really do encourage you to turn there with me because we'll be here for a little while. But also this really starts to help us see why Jesus came, who he truly is. And it does start to apply to you and me. So Hosea chapter 11. And for what we'll do in Hosea, we'll first just read the verse where the actual quote that Matthew's using comes from. But then we're also going to read a lot of the whole chapter to see what's really going on in Hosea 11. So first, let's just start with the verse that Matthew cites. So if you're in Hosea chapter 11, this is just going to be verse 1. So look down at your Bibles. Hosea 11 verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. I'll stop there for now. So as you can see, that's the original quote that Matthew is citing. And now you can see why this isn't as simple as saying that Jesus was simply foretold to come out of Egypt. And why isn't it so simple? Well, because notice, who is God's son here? Well, it's, well here it's, it's Israel, according to this passage. It's Israel. It's the people of Israel. They're called God's son because they were in a covenant, a close family relationship with God. And not only that, but then on this verse concerning the Egypt part, if you're tracking, think about it. If Israel is God's son in Hosea 11.1, 1, then what is the out of Egypt referring to? Well, as you probably guessed, it's referring to the Exodus. When in history, Israel was delivered and called out of Egypt. And so in short, that's the original quote. Out of Egypt, in the Exodus, I, God, called my son, the people of Israel. And yet finally, that's not even all that's significant here. Because thinking about why Matthew would choose to quote this verse. Now also notice that Israel in this one verse is, quote, being called a child. And even a child God loves. So, so we have God's son coming out of Egypt, a loved child, all referring to Israel. And so I know that's a lot, but that's Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 here, which Matthew knows he's quoting in the Christmas account. And maybe you're just starting to see how fascinating this then is because again, Matthew is recording Jesus' early life. And in doing so, he decides to record how Jesus, as a child, went down to and came out of Egypt. And then he takes this verse in Hosea about Israel, and he says that Jesus somehow fulfills, out of Egypt I called my son. Which means quickly, that somehow, Jesus, in the Christmas story, is fulfilling the Exodus. And, Somehow, in the Christmas story, Jesus is fulfilling being God's son and the people of Israel. But we'll talk more about that in our third section. But for now, though, let's actually just continue on in Hosea here. Because Matthew, quoting Hosea 11, he wouldn't just have known this one verse, but he would have known this whole chapter in context as well. And reading some of this is important to understand Israel, but especially to understand ourselves. And why Jesus came. And so that's verse 1. Israel is God's son, rescued from Egypt, loved as a child. But then what comes next right away in Hosea? Well, here's where it gets interesting. Because verse 1 is so positive, right? God's people are his loved son. They're called out. But now notice what comes next right away in verses 2 through 4. Look down at your Bibles, Hosea 11, 2 through 4. The more they, Israel, God's son, were called the more they went away 
They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke of of their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. So very clearly, what happened to the son Israel after being called out of Egypt? Well, in short, even though God was truly with them and guiding them and loving them and feeding them, as he says in verses 3 and 4, still as we see in verse 2, this son Israel, God's people, they kept wandering away. They kept going away from God and worshiping false idols. And really, that is the story of the whole Old Testament. And I know here at ECC, as we've been in the book of Hosea for some time, we have heard this now over and over. But if you're newer here, or still this is newish to you, I do hope you know that really one of the main reasons the Old Testament exists and the whole story of Israel exists is to show us this. It's to show us a a true historical account of people, people who are just like you and me, who, yes, entered into some sort of relationship with God, but it was a relationship that wasn't enough because their worship was still shadowy things where they had sacrifices and temples and were mainly just trying to obey God. And then also it was a relationship where they they couldn't do it. They, They were faithless over and over. They couldn't really trust and follow God. That's the Old Testament in a nutshell. That's you and I in a nutshell. And quickly, that is what we see here in Hosea 11. We have God's son, Israel, called out of Egypt, loved. But they kept wandering away. (laughs) Which now leads us in Hosea 11 to continue on now in verse 8. So skip ahead to verse 8. And we'll read this verse now just to see how God feels about this. It's a beautiful verse. Look down at verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. So this is, that there is one of the most beautiful verses about God's love in the Old Testament. Because remember, this book of Hosea is mainly about God's love. And in short, God sees his people wandering away from him, worshiping other idols, and that stirs his compassion. Which finally, though, in Hosea leads us to verses 9 through 11. So that's Israel and sin, and that's how it stirs God's compassion. But now, look at what God says. Look at what God promises in verses 9 through 11. Hosea 11, 9 through 11. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. So the gist of Hosea chapter 11 is God's called and loved people, his son, they're wandering. And it stirs God's compassion. But now God here in verses 9 through 11 says he eventually will not come in wrath. He says he will eventually do something about all this. He says he will do something to bring them home. And not only that, but did you notice God doesn't just say that he'll merely do something. 
But did you notice how he emphasized that he'll do something big, something strong and significant there in verse 10? And we see that because you probably heard God use that image of him roaring like a lion. And I love that because then the point then is God sees this happening. His people are rebelling against him, wandering away. They need help and it breaks his heart. But God is saying, yet when I decide to roar like a lion in my strength, I'm going to do something to get my people back. God will redeem, rescue people who have strayed from him. And, and how will he do it? Well, Hosea doesn't say here. But that's Hosea chapter 11. And that's the chapter that Matthew knows he is quoting from. And now, before we move on to our third section and talk about what that all shows us about Jesus and ourselves, just, just taking a step back for a second, just imagine how you and I are prone to think about how God would do this. About how God would help people in a situation like this. Because the picture is, in Hosea, it's very clear, God's people have strayed because of their sinning. That's true. And God says he'll do something about it, which he will. But then, if we were to read that and finish the story, and basically, to be honest, how any other religion finishes a similar story, wouldn't we assume, okay, so, so then what God is going to do is, yes, he might forgive us, but then in order for him to rescue us from this, from the wandering, what he's going to do is he's mainly going to make us people who are so much better. Meaning, wouldn't we think that God's solution, his roaring like a lion, would be making us people who are not like Israel and so deserve to be God's children. And again, when you boil it down, most other religions in the world basically teach that. Because what basically every other religion teaches and what a lot of people say Christianity is sadly, although it's not, they teach that it's okay, we're like Israel, we're God's children, but we mess up and yet God is loving and God will do something about it. And all of that is somewhat true so far. But then concerning what people think that God will do about it, what's often believed is that what God will mainly do is, is he will basically give us a second chance. The idea that so many people, and you might have about religion, is that God is essentially giving us a chance to be good enough, unlike Israel. And really concerning any other religion or just the world's idea of life, they teach that that's the goal. Us being good enough people. Morality. Pick yourself up by your bootstrap, grind hard, and be better. Be better than Israel. People just think that's the point of life. They think that that's ultimately what God would want from them. And for those of us here in this room this morning, maybe you're here and that's how you usually think about God. Maybe you do often think what God feels, what God does about my wandering is he mainly just wants me to be better. God wants me to be better. And we often think that because naturally we know it. We are sinful. And so we tend to just think, surely the main thing a perfect God will do is he'll want me to just be better. We think that that's the solution. We think of God that way. We think of religion that way. Maybe going to church that way. And we maybe even think of Christmas in that sort of way. And yet, that isn't how the Bible finishes the story. At all. Or better yet, 
That isn't how Matthew decides to quote Hosea chapter 11. Instead, yes, out of Egypt, God called his son Israel. And yes, they were disobedient, just like you and I are. And yes, that hurts God's heart, just like our sin breaks God's heart. And yes, God says he will do something about it. But what will God do? Will he just give people a second chance? Will he just tell Israel and tell us to be better? No. (laughs) He does something way better than that, way stronger than that, something more significant, and something more lasting. Which finally leads us to our third section. You probably see where this is going. And for this now, turn back with me to Matthew 2. It should be on page 760 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 2. And, we're, and now here in our third section, what we're going to do is we're going to basically, I know that was a lot, but bring everything together and see what all that now shows us about Jesus and really does show us about ourselves. And first though, to begin here on Matthew 2. So we're back in this account And now, after seeing all that from Hosea, now look at verse 15 again. Verse 15. So remember, in this historical account, the child Jesus is born. He's worshipped. He then goes down to Egypt, all to eventually come out of Egypt. And Matthew says, quote, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Because this is saying then that Jesus is truly God's son. The fulfillment of God's son. And as for what that means, yes, it does mean that Jesus is the son of God because he's the divine second person of the Trinity. He is. But also, in context here, think about it. For Matthew, who, remember, was an Israelite, this is more than just saying that Jesus is God's divine son. Instead, Matthew knew exactly what he was doing. And what he was doing, now you can see it, is he was taking up this idea of the people of Israel and really the whole Old Testament with everything about Israel and them being delivered out of Egypt and yet them being sinful and not able to follow God. Matthew is taking up all of that. And then he's taking up all of that, especially from Hosea 11, which remember was about how Israel is God's loved son, but they were disobedient and it hurt God's heart. And yet God said he'd roar like a lion and do something about it. Matthew, inspired by God, is taking taking up all of that and he's saying all of that was pointing to this moment to the coming of Jesus it really was it was all always going here to this child it was all leading to this divine and obedient son of God being born 2,000 years ago and coming to do something about our sin. And, and that's, by the way, where that word, which you've probably heard many times, fulfilled, comes in. Because to be clear, when we in English now often use that word, we often talk about prophecies being fulfilled. And we often, I think most of us probably think of direct prediction and direct fulfillment of that prediction. And to be sure, that type of more obvious, if you will, clear-cut fulfillment does sometimes happen in the Bible. But that is not the only or the main way I think the New Testament uses that word fulfill. Nor is that even just the meaning of the word itself because this word fulfilled in Greek comes from the idea of to to fill up. 
And so the picture is that God was preparing the way for filling up all of this in the Old Testament. All this about Israel and and sin and God loving his people and about Israel being called God's son and yet they were disobedient. All of that was like water being filled in a glass. It was all preparing the way for in a mini picture of what was to come. And so all of that was filling up. But then the idea of something being fulfilled is that all that was then finally heading somewhere. That water was being poured and poured into a cup. And one day it would be full. It would be fulfilled. And so where was all of that going? And speaking of what we saw in Hosea 11.1 now about Israel being God's son, where was that always going? Well, again, it was always meant to be fulfilled, filled up in Jesus. In the coming of Jesus, the whole Old Testament, the history of the world falling into sin, the history of Israel, the story about God having a relationship with them, their worship, their sacrifices, their prophets, priests, kings, their temple, their scriptures, our Old Testaments, their being God's people, God's son, it was all pointing to Jesus. And and why? Well, because Jesus alone is the true son of God and because Jesus alone is the true Israel. And the Bible here is saying that's something that Jesus coming at Christmas really does show us. That he is the only obedient and divine son of God. Which finally then, and I know that was a lot, but now to make this more practical and clear for us, that finally then leads us to consider one major thing about Jesus then, and then we will close with one major thing about us. So one thing about Jesus, and then to close one thing about us. And so let's take those one at a time. So first, concerning Jesus, what this does all then show us is that Jesus' coming at Christmas then isn't just a good example of love or morality or peace or humility or anything like that. Nor is Jesus' coming only God coming into the world. Now, those things are true. But what I hope we now see is that he is also a lot even more than that. And that's true, especially when we consider world history and the story of the Bible. Because in short, in that one line, that is what Matthew is showing us here. Because again, this was a huge claim that Matthew was making, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, that he's the only true obedient son of God. But it's true. And to be clear then, the fact for you and I, the fact that Jesus is the only true Israel, the one and only faithful son of God, that matters for you and me, especially when we think about Christmas, because this then means concerning Jesus' coming church, we didn't just need Jesus to come and die for us. Although, of course, we do because we have sins that need to be forgiven and they are forgiven when we trust in Jesus because what he did on the cross. But also, I hope what you see this morning is that we needed Jesus to come and live for us as well. Because the point is, while Israel wasn't faithful and couldn't live as God's son, just like we can't on our own, while that's true, yet Jesus came and he did live and is faithful as God's son. He's obedient because we can't be. And so that's the major thing about Jesus here, which then finally leads us now as we close to one major thing about us. And so that's Jesus. He's the true Israel. He's the only obedient son of God, which all then means for you and for me that our hope and our peace and our security cannot be found in us. 
but it must then be found in connection to Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me just repeat that. so important. It means our hope, our peace, our security, our knowing that we're loved. It can't be found in us, but it must be found in connection to Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is true when we first become Christians. And that is true as we live our Christian lives. The obedient Son of God and Him alone is our hope, our peace, our comfort, our, what we rely on. Right? And we have to say that because, again, what this one quote here shows us is that it actually can't be about us. How we relate to God can't mainly be about us. It can't be about us just being better because we're like Israel. <laughs> We're unfaithful. And even if we think we're a little better than Israel, we're still never perfectly obedient children of God on our own. And so the point is, therefore, instead of making our salvation or making our Christian living so much about us, instead, if this is Jesus, this out of Egypt I called my son, if that's Jesus, then for us, our hope, our salvation, our peace must be. And being connected to him. And that's really it. Hope you get that. He's the son. And so it's about being connected to him. That's really it. Now there are of course yes many things that will come from that. As we then follow him. But in the end he's the true Israel. He's the obedient son of God. And so for us it's about knowing him. And continually abiding in him as we live our lives. And in fact that's, a, that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Right? Especially when it talks about us being sons and daughters of God. Because as Israel showed us, if we try to, I hope you know this, if you try to become or live as a child of God on your own, skipping past Jesus, it won't work. We know that. We know our struggles. We know our frailty, our sins, the ways we don't live as we should. And so again, becoming a child of God or even living as a child of God, relying on yourself, it does not work. But that's why the New Testament gospel message, the good news, Jesus' message essentially is, if you then want to become a child of God and be right with God, or if you want to just live a life as a child of God and his family, you need Jesus. Because out of Egypt, God called my son. And, and so you and I need to be, as the Bible says over and over, in Christ in Jesus, in the Son, and that's who, where we remain. That's who we are. Because again, Jesus is the obedient Son of God. Well, we aren't. And so in summary, you, I know you know this, but the message of the Bible really is go to Him and keep going to Him. Be found in Him. Make your life be about being in Him. And in fact, as a, as a bit of a side note, I don't know if you knew this, but we opened up our service this morning with John 3.16. And this, this is all partly why the biblical writer John, who himself penned the whole gospel of John in John 3.16, it's, it's actually why, if you read his gospel, whenever he talks about trusting in Jesus or believing in Jesus, he actually uses the Greek preposition ace. Which you need to know doesn't just mean in, but it actually means into. And that's actually true of John 3.16, which we opened with. Because we usually translate John 3.16 as, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. And, and that's good. But literally, all, and all over the book of John, the Bible most literally says that whoever believes into him may have eternal life. 
And that does sound strange, but again, it's because the idea is, brothers and sisters, that when we trust in Jesus, we become partakers with Jesus. He becomes our identity. We become found in him. And as Christians then, our lives still are about living in him. It's all about him. Which finally then bringing us now full circle. Really the point is then that that is what Matthew is getting across in the Christmas story when he says out of Jesus called, I called, out of Egypt I called my son. It's what he's showing about Jesus and it's what he's showing about us. Because one last time, the point is if you and I then want to go forth from here and be secure children of God and know we're really loved by God, then listen closely. If we want that, which I'm sure most of us in this room do, then we don't focus so much on ourselves and look inward and try to make our security about us and our obedience. We can't do that like all other religions do. Instead, what Christmas does show us is that we must cling to Jesus, the Son of God. We believe into Jesus, we remain in Jesus, and in him we are sons and daughters of God more loved now and forever than we can ever fathom. I hope you know that. I hope you personally believe that and feel that this Christmas season. Amen? Amen, let's pray.